1: That time has been such a
2: long time since our last show. Man, your beard is like a foot longer, I would say. Yeah, I, I was pulling it out just, just then during the break. Oh, is that so why? it looked different. Okay, it, yeah, very different. You're like Geico Caveman all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't, I don't know if I like that.
2: Okay, uh, <laughs> you are Tom Hanks from Castaway. What part of it, though? Because at one
1: point he's kind of overweight with stubble. That
2: one. I don't know. <laughs> All right. The part, yeah, part where you're talking to, like, a, a volleyball. You ever do that in the brewery? Like, you're there alone late at night, and you're, you are you start talking to your— you, like, draw a happy face on a barrel and start talking to it? Yes. You do that, I'm sure.
1: I, there used to be happy faces on barrels. I used to—as opposed to you, I'm not very artistic, so I would draw Dilbert. You know that yes, cartoon? of course. I can draw Dilbert and uh, Dogbert from that, and I put them on some barrels, but I think— one of my employees wiped him off. Oh,
2: so. don't they look kind of like Kilroy? Just like all the huge, uh, sort of hook nose, mm-hmm. the U-shaped nose. Yeah, I can picture Dilbert. I bet you I could draw Dilbert from memory. Are you uh, joking? What you, it's, about, it's about actually, Dilbert? It's a pretty advanced drawing. Not so you. I don't think Jay. you could draw. I
1: don't think he is. No, I like I like uh, Dilbert. Ah.
2: <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Welcome to the Sour Hour. Tilbert <laughs> is a beloved beloved cartoon uh, comic uh, strip character. Yeah, wasn't there a cat so, uh, catbert outraged. also? Was there?
1: I think so. Rarely seen hmm. in uh, in the strips, but catbert was a thing. Hmm. So it's the sour hour. <laughs> Welcome to the show. We're going to teach you
2: how to draw Calvin in the next segment. Yeah, over. <laughs> they have podcasts that teach you how to draw? That seems <laughs> That's like a tough be your... one. I, I bet you if Bob Ross was still alive, he'd have a podcast and he would teach you how to uh, No one knows who that paint. is. Yeah, they do. What are you kidding me? No. Come on, Jay. That guy had a cable, a, a public access show for decades. Everybody knows who Bob Ross is. I, I think I know who you're talking about. Bevo, but... you know Bob Ross, right? Yes, I do. Okay. Ask Jason. Jason, one of our bartenders. Jason, Jason do you know there.
0: who Bob Ross is?
2: The painter, yeah. See what do you, Jay? Please, little
0: trees. Happy please. Little trees.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. Apparently, I'm 22 years old, and you guys are all 55.
2: That Public was really accent. rude. <laughs> God, dare you?
1: Please. <laughs> well, that's not at all true. Anyway, but you can definitely tell that this is our second show of two. You know, we've got a had a few more tastings in the first show, mm-hmm. um, a few more side beers, and well, let's dive into it. We're doing Q and A today. We're gonna have. Uh, one of the, the key sponsors, someone who keeps this show afloat, allows us to be here talking to you about sour beer, and that's Matt, Dr. Lambick Miller. He's going to join us, and I want to talk to him about his latest article, but he also sent us some beers uh, that we're going to taste through.
2: We've got them for a while now, Yeah, right? long ago. Yeah, back in uh, May, or even, I think, April. Awesome. Do you know, do you know what they are? No, I never even opened the box, because if I did, I would have that's just drank them on the spot, like, compulsively, bullshit. so I just kept them sealed and in the cold box. <laughs> that sounds like your M.O.,
1: but uh, we appreciate you guys uh, hanging in there if you're listening live. Um, you know, if, if we didn't get to your question, or maybe you're, you know, just getting home from work, and, like, the very first thing you did was, hey, tune into the Sour Hour, call us, 888 beer We really want to hear from you, uh, as I said on the last show. Uh, my preference is to... To have callers call in because there's a little more interaction. We can ask you questions back about maybe the batch of sour beer you're working on, kind of troubleshoot the problems live on the air. And I think that's helpful for a lot of people. Join us in the chat and watch us live, thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. Subscribe on iTunes and all that good
2: stuff. Raring to go because our uh, GM, Kevin, just delivered a couple of fresh glasses of Arrows of Neon. We've been drinking a couple shows ago, the uh, Rare Mm -hmm. Barrels uh, Sprite Beer. Uh, did delightful. you say you're rearing to go?
1: Because mm-hmm. I think, isn't it rearing, um, rearing to go? Yeah, isn't but it, you, you don't work at the rear barrel,
2: man. I'm doing a little pun action. Well, that's
1: our side business, <laughs> and don't ask about that.
2: <laughs> wow, I thought that was definitely going to get a laugh from Bevo. But she's she's <laughs> texting somebody. She missed it. Okay. Forget it. All right, here we go. No,
0: I heard it. I just didn't think it was that uh, funny.
2: The rear? Bear, okay. She saves her one uh, bur, uh, outburst sometime around uh, April 2016. She'll laugh again at something you said. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, here's a question from uh, Jay uh, Perez. Oh, you, you picked a Jay question
1: as yes. opposed to your, like, 15- Scott, uh, Scott Perez asks, Scott. <laughs> uh, can you
2: go over the difference, uh, differences between the strains of Brett and Sacro, also the blend of strains that White Labs and Y-East have, sent from the Master of the Universe? Uh, that's a fairly, uh, uh, gee, we could do a whole show on that question. Can I just argue that the master
1: of the universe should probably know the differences between you, one would think, but yeah, that, that's, that's a complex question. Um, and I, I cert, that would be, you know, 10 podcasts instead of, you know, a brief answer right here. But I, what I will do is point you into the direction of, uh, one of our former guests, which is milk the funk. They've got, uh, this great wiki that's going along with their Facebook group, which is, uh, kind of feeding into a lot of their wiki, but they have extensive information on the different strains of brewer's yeast, Britannomyces, uh, Lactobacillus, Pediococcus that are coming from all the different, bre- uh, the commercial labs that are supplying breweries. So go ahead and check that out. I think it's milkthefunk.com slash wiki. And that that's, that's a great place to start. A lot of the commercial suppliers will supply you with um, definitions or, or just parameters and tasting notes, but I'd say in general I I've been a little disappointed and or not disappointed. It's just I don't find them to be as accurate like what the commercial description of a, a Britannomyces, for example, will say, Oh, this, you know, reeks of pineapple and, you know, I've used that bread strain and I maybe I get pineapple during primary fermentation and that's where the definition's from. But when you get to a finished beer, you know, it doesn't taste like pineapple. So I think some of those definitions come less from finished products and more from propagation experiments when the beers are very young. Um, and a lot of those volatiles age out. So I think it's sort of a to each his own. You have to experiment. And I would, I would rely more on other brewers and home brewers' definitions than the commercial descriptions because um, the commercial yeast labs, uh, they're not— aging them out to fruition, bottling them, aging them, kind of, you know, it's not, it's less, it's more theory and less practice. So that, that's the direction I'd point
2: you in. So the folks at the commercial labs that are writing those descriptions, they must know that, right? That this is only a description for what we're sampling now, but it's may or may not be present in the finished beer, which is all you care about homebrewer guy. When you are reading the descriptions, it's what's, what's this going to impart to my, to my finished beer, right? So why do you think they're doing that? Is it just to have something to say? Uh, well, that's a theory of mine, so I, I wouldn't I well, wouldn't overstep my bounds and say, like,
1: this is definitely what's happening, okay. and I don't know why they're saying this. It's kind of like, you know, they, what they do is they propagate yeast, so they take it from, you know, a slant or what's the other thing that it's on? just at, at Whatever media they're growing uh, the, the yeast or bacteria on, um, and then they're growing it up. They do, you know, 10 milliliters of wort in a tube, then they do 50 milliliters, 500 milliliters, you know, one liter, and they're growing it up from there. And, you know, once they get to a big enough volume, they're perceiving these aromatics that are coming off of these fermentations that come from propagation. You know, I think they're recording those sensory notes and, you know, that those might feed into the commercial descriptions. But it's been my experience that, you know, if we're using, you know, Brett Dre in a primary fermentation, the way it's smelling from day two to day 14 is extremely different than what the finished product ends up smelling like. Or even when it's in a barrel, you know, it doesn't smell like that anymore. Because what you're smelling during a fermentation, there are volatiles that are being driven off vigorously by a fermentation. It's it's almost like, it's almost the same thing as like a boil. Lots of stuff is coming off. You're smelling a lot of things. But you have to remember that all that stuff that you're smelling, that's volatile, that's coming off, and it's not coming back. So... That's stuff leaving the beer. It's just the same when you get a glass of beer, so you've got airs of neon there. You swirl it around in your glass. Lemon and lime aromatics are coming out of that beer, being brought out by carbonation. That's not going back into the beer. Luckily, you know, this is being consumed right now. We're not aging it. But beers that give off things in primary fermentation, those volatiles aren't coming back. So this is all very rambling and speculative, but that, you know... I think that may feed into the descriptions a little bit, or I could just be completely wrong and full of it. So, but it, I, I just haven't really connected with a lot of the, the descriptions of commercial yeast and what it actually tastes like when we use it at the Rare Barrel.
2: Okay, here is uh, Brendan Oxford saying, uh, Hey guys, I'm Brendan from Canada and Sweden. Uh, I guess the guy it travels a lot. Uh, I've been uh, homebrewing for a little over a year. Last winter I had a uh, Gul Creek." which is served uh, at, oh, this can't be right, 70 C, and then in parentheses he has 158 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, I guess, well, no, they, they, okay, I take it back. Hot beer. So they, they serve it hot. Have you heard of this? No, I've never heard of this. Okay, well, here, let's, let's see if we can um, do some guessing. It's like hot yoga. Hot yoga?
1: Hot yo- you've heard of hot yoga, right? Bikram
2: yoga? Like the the chicks in the yoga pants are hot?
1: No, it's like they turn up the temperature while you're doing yoga.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I I, I hadn't heard of it by that term, but yes. It makes okay. perfect sense, right? It's just, I mean, boxers will go into a sauna to shed pounds before a fight, right? Mm-hmm. If you just crank the heat and you're doing yoga and you want to be a little trim.
1: Maybe that's where they serve this beer. Sense,
2: maybe. Although I, you're consuming it as opposed to like uh, holding it against your brow and sweating. So I don't know how, how much good it'll do in the weight loss department. Okay, so hot, case, hot beer. Yeah, hot beer. Wanting to create my own raspberry version, I did a bunch of research and determined that a Lambic was the way to go. So I created a raspberry sour with y 3278, that's the Belgian Lambic blend, using Cal Ale for the primary, and then I pitched uh, the blend into secondary. Um, Presently, it is aging in a better uh, bottle and has been for a few months. It's coming out quite nicely as a sour beer, but I'm not sure it would work as a hot beer. So his question is, should I just heat the beer up once it's ready to drink and test if, it, if it's okay hot? Give you have any suggestions or insights on how to make a hot beer? Uh, is sour the way to go on this? I don't actually remember the Gull Creek being very sour at all, um, though it's been a year and a half since he's had it. So maybe his, his memory is wrong. At some point, uh, I'm hoping to take another stab at making this. I would love to hear any thoughts you may have. That's interesting. I never heard of that either. I yeah. wonder if it's just this one place that does it. He's writing as if it's a thing.
1: This, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff in Canada and Sweden, <laughs> so I, I have never heard of that. So you know, my my insight's going to be limited. But
2: um, so here, let, let me phrase the question this way then. Yeah. So if you were to take um, how many how many you got on the at the Red bar right now, you got like what seven different beers on? Uh, yeah. Okay, so if you had to pick one of them to serve hot, which one would it
1: be? I don't, I don't even know if I could do that. I mean, plus it seems like he's got this beer already. And he's kind of just asking, you know, should I heat it up?
2: Well, yeah, there's nothing—no harm in that. I mean, the worst that happens is you heat it up and it's not good hot, and then you know you don't serve that beer hot. But I'm more thinking for people who want to try this, or, or if Brendan wants to try it again, what he should kind of look for. Because he's not even sure he should do a sour beer in the first place as his hot beer. Oh, so he hasn't started the beer yet? No, he has. He has. He, okay, he, It's It's on its way in a better beer bottle—a uh, better bottle mm-hmm. right now. But um, I think he's kind of— st- asking generically about what would work in the context of hot. I, so the my, the one thought,
1: well, many thoughts come to mind, but the one that might make a little bit of sense is when you warm really any liquid up to closer to your body's temperature, all the, all the, you're going to get a lot more of the flavor, the true flavor of the beer. So, you know, the same way that uh, maybe like a, I don't know, a generic American industrial light lager doesn't taste good when it's warm and people that's why cold you know in quotes cold beer is like a big marketing thing because warm beer doesn't taste good well oh no only if the beer's bad um that that kind of makes me think that you know you definitely want to age the beer further let off flavors age out because you're going to perceive them more at warmer temperatures warmer serving temperatures now 70c I have zero experience, you know, drinking a beer at that temperature. So I have a lot, I have a lot more questions about this uh, email than answers. But yeah, that's really interesting. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to look into that a little bit.
2: If, if I can just throw in my uh, my half a cent here for what yeah. it's worth, he's wondering if sour is the way to go for hot beers at all, and my impulse would be like, no, it isn't. The best way to go would probably be like um, a, a sort of robust porter, maybe like a, like a hazelnut or a chocolate porter, something along those lines that would more kind of be like a sort of coffee experience, yeah. beverages that work hot, hot and chocolate. you know they do. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, definitely like I, we were saying, no harm in heating up a little bit of it and seeing what the beer you have is like uh, sure. as a hot beer. Um, but I suspect it won't work well. How do, you, so, how do you
1: serve that though? How do you how would you serve a hot beer? A mug, would, I guess. So you you pour it from a bottle or your keg and then heat it up. Sure. I would think that a lot of the carbonation is going to come out of solution once you heat it up.
2: It did, why? Because if it boils vigorously, what if you never bring it to a boil?
1: Uh, I don't even think you have to bring it to a boil. I just think it, as things warm, I think a lot of the gas is going to come out of solution. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, that's that's a great question. Yeah, that's, I, a weird uh, one. that's that. Lit up a part of my brain that I have never used. What if you I've were, never heard of hot
2: beer? I never either. What if you um, purposely overcarbonated the shit out of it, mm-hmm. and then when you heated it up, it gassing would kind of bring it back down to a normal level. Maybe that's maybe, how you do it. Maybe, or maybe you wouldn't even want a hot thing to be supercarbonated anyway. Do you, you Do you want a hot beer? No, no. Yeah, it doesn't sound very. Good, <laughs> yeah, it right? doesn't.
1: So I, I mean, Canada and Sweden are cold, so <laughs> yeah. I understand why you know maybe you'd want a hot beer. But the other thing, uh, you know, maybe this is an argument for sour beer. Sour beer, I think, tastes better flat than other styles of beer. I agree. 100%. Because acidity gives you kind of that little bit of tingling you get from maybe the carbonic acid of carbonation. So, you know, that 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 could be a way to go. You know, just serve it flat. You warm it up like that. What's this guy's name again? Uh, Brendan. Brendan. If it, You know, if you're listening to this answer, give us some more info. I I'd be yeah. interested to follow up about uh, this whole thing. Definitely, but, me too. Yeah, that, that boggles the mind.
2: You know, my, uh, my brother Adam is in the studio, and he just handed me mm-hmm. uh, his phone, and um, it's from The Atlantic. It's an article that is called Hot Beer, Anyone? And then the little subtitle is, The preference for a cold beer is relatively new. Can the once popular heated ale make a comeback? So is that— is that how beer used to be served? Is that what this is saying? Adam's you, shrugging his shoulders, but it does seem like it.
1: Are you one of those guys who just reads the first paragraph of an article, and then you say you read the article? And
2: uh, no, actually, <laughs> you know what I do? I read the first paragraph and the last two paragraphs. Okay, you will, that, that is actually a great rule of thumb. You will find... Information in like like the longest new York Times article you 've ever read, mm-hmm. somehow the last two paragraphs will contain a, a couple of few tidbits that you 're like, this is very important to this topic. Why was this not included much earlier in the article? so yeah, first and last that, that would not do you well with
1: sour beer blog because we were just talking about this before we came on. This is some, some extensive stuff, yeah but, you know maybe Matt has some ideas about that
2: yeah let 's do one more uh, question before the break, and then we 'll uh, talk to Doctor Lambick and uh, get his thoughts. I mean, man, they, that guy is is he, he must have in in sour beer medical school. I mean, they show you everything. Like during do. his residency, he must yeah. have had exposure to hot sour beer. I did not have the grades to get into
1: sour beer. Very few of us you know, do. Yeah, sour beer pre med. Even that program, I, I didn't
2: qualify. Well, and it's really intensive. You have to give up like four years of your life, mm-hmm. and you 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 know you can't have like a girlfriend or a job or so. Forget it. You're 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 the better for it. Believe me. It's a lonely life. Here is a uh, Tyler. Uh, Otwin, he says, guys, I have a simple question about pasteurization. Is there a cheaper way than flash pasteurization to pasteurize sours to lock in their level of sweetness? Uh, Are there options for home brewers? I I do remember touching on this with uh, Lauren from New Belgium because they do pasteurize. I'm getting even
1: more déjà vu from that. Have we? asked and answer this question before did
2: we i feel like we did i think i asked you off the air to to see like hey should we even ask this okay yeah yeah i don't think we covered it on the show
1: so just just quickly i I would say that um my my solution to that is kegging so you're cooling down the beer and carbonating it that's not going to really encourage additional yeast activity um even brett so i mean that's not indefinite i think brett even at cooler temperatures can't like it can almost reflect uh, the the behavior of some lager strains um in some cases but you know i think mostly if you're cooling down to 40 50 degrees fahrenheit um and carbonating you're kind of stopping the process of souring so other than that i you know i can't think of a a cheap but also safe way to heat beer on that scale
2: yeah, I remember Lauren saying something like that, like you know, that there kind of really isn't an option. Um, so that's why you should employ some of Jay's solutions because pasteurization is kind of for the pros. And even then, only some of them. Yeah, I think so. All right.
1: Any more questions
2: before a break? Or uh, no, no, we go we've back? got more questions for the rest of the show. But let's take a break. All right. Let's
1: uh, bring it back with Dr. Lambick here. After a short break, you're listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing
0: Network. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. MoreBeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. And make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making.
3: BN Army, I'm here to talk seriously for a second. You all are partially responsible for something explosive, and it's time you answer for it.
0: Moonlight Meadery is exploding. Yeah,
3: exploding across the country. Wait, they just landed in Australia with insane quality meads.
0: With nearly 70 different varieties of mead on the market, Moonlight Meadery has blown up the mead category and completely reinvented it.
3: Seriously? What? Seriously? What? You're paying money for that watered-down mead when you could have a Moonlight Mead? Moonlight Meads explode with quality and flavor.
0: They're a party in a bottle. Did someone say party? If you want meat and want the best, you want meats from Moonlight metering and will accept nothing less. And now get 15% off by going to MoonlightMeadery.com forward slash army and use coupon code Army at checkout. Hey, sign me up for that party.
3: Hi, this is Rudy, the brewmaster from Rodenbach. You listen to The Sour Hour on the Brewing Network.
1: We're back to Sour Hour. I love all these uh, all the clips you got from all these people. Liners, yeah, the liners.
2: Here in Rudy, that that's pretty awesome. I love how he hit the uh, he did the the Jewy thing on the end of Rodenbach. <laughs> I've, I've never have I felt closer to the man than just then.
1: His accent is awesome. <laughs> yes, it uh, is. Jean Benoit, there, his uh, his liner was pretty good too. Yeah, it, we went through a few uh, a few takes of that, and then. <laughs> Yeah, it was just very exasperated, I think.
2: Yeah, it was. And what was great, too, was uh, Jean took, a, took Jean a few takes, and then uh, after we were finally done with Jean, uh, Vinny leaned up to the mic and went, hey, it's Vinny, you're listening to the Sour Hour on the Brain Network. Yeah. <laughs> one, old one-take Vinny just showed him right up. Absolutely. Well, we are back,
1: and uh, we've got uh, one of our favorite guests on the on the line, which is uh, Dr. Lambick, Matt Miller. Good evening, Doctor.
4: Uh, hi, uh, hi, Jay. Hi, Scott. Am I coming through clearly?
1: You sound great, as always. How have you been?
4: Doing good, doing good. I got fired up between the shows listening to your play "Bad Religion." Now I'm all excited to talk sour beer.
2: Good, I love that song. Yeah, it's a nice little two-minute. That's like my favorite uh, favorite Bad Religion song, "A Walk." Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah, you, they, they're like the thinking man's band. I think they all have like postgraduate degrees from Princeton. You're so, the you're Bad Religion guys. You're so
1: elitist, <laughs> musical elite. <laughs> no, it's good stuff. And yeah, we're. I mean, we're always. Fired up to be talking sour beer and fired up to have you back, Matt. Um, I know we've got. Uh, I, I well, I see a beer across the room, but that that can't be. It's his beer. it's
2: unopened. Uh, our staff is opening the other one right now because it, it's corked. But that looks like this. Is, this is like some professional stuff here. Oh it's yeah, like your great. label is awesome, Matt. What's the story here?
4: Thank you. I I, I just um, I like the I have fun doing the grog tag thing. I had this thought that. For some of the beers that are a little older and have a little bit more time put into them I'd like to start doing like uh, homage to um, famous scientists type of thing so I sort of designed a label around around that and the name and stuff of uh, one of the um, famous uh, 19 or 18th century scientists uh, Gregor Mendel did um, work with pea plants and genetics uh before we really knew what genes were, started to figure out the rules of heredity.
1: That's awesome. It's a. Uh, it reminds me not not to you know invite comparison, but it reminds me of our uh, we're doing a, a series of beers called On the Shoulders of Giants, where we're trying to pay tribute to you know, uh, just past beer connoisseurs who have kind of paved the way for us. So I like that you're you know definitely embracing the the scientific element, but also the you know paying homage to people who kind of made what we're doing today possible
2: then let me just describe it for uh, all those who can't see it uh, it's a sky blue label at the beer's called cuvee mendel and there's um sort of a window with uh, like four square panes and in each pane are uh different color hops there's a uh, yellow red green and purple is there a significance to the colors
4: that was my attempt at a punnett square which is something that's used in um genetics to kind of figure out how heredity and different traits are passed on
2: this is getting so deep so early only the guys (laughs) from bad religion would understand yeah (laughs) uh hey ace uh, my brother's in the studio go see what the staff's taking so long opening that beer because i want to get to it i'm really excited for this hey um do you think um the beer will be significantly different than when you sent it i mean i know it's hard for you to say but i mean we've been i've been sitting on it for geez like four or five months now
4: i opened a bottle last night and the uh the fruit character, I think, is pretty much the same. The it was a dr- it's a dry hop beer. Some of the hop has dropped out of a little bit, but I was still picking up a tiny bit of citrus from the amarillo that's in it. So I, I, I think it's still uh, holding up pretty well.
1: Awesome. And, and while we're waiting on uh, the samples coming out, I one I, one thing I wanted to touch on is your uh, your latest article on tannins and sour beer, which I had a chance to. Uh, to read uh, today, and just t- tell us a little bit about kind of the overview there, because it's, you know, as, as a lot of your articles are, they're extremely in-depth, and I want to kind of touch on a, a bunch of different points on the article with you, but, you know, what, what made you want to write about tannins and sour beer?
4: I write a lot of reviews of different commercial sour beers for the site, and one of the things that I think I've learned uh, over the last year or so doing that is I had never given much thought to the fact that a lot of sour beers do have uh, a moderate to even high tannin content. Sometimes the way like a, a red wine will, and it's something that I've been trying to pay more attention to when I'm when I'm tasting sour beers. And it just uh, got me thinking about this article over the last month or so. Uh, they, it definitely tannin content uh, can come from a number of sources, and it it definitely alters the way you perceive some of these beers.
1: I, I think that's definitely true. And, you know, one thing we talk about on the show quite a bit is mouthfeel and how to build in mouthfeel. And, you know, I think you do a great job in the article kind of explaining uh, the tannins role in that. But is, is is it just that? Or, you know, do tannins play kind of a, a greater role in sour beer overall, in your opinion?
4: I, I think that it's... It, it, they shape... To, or a couple parts of sour beer. The mouthfeel is, is one of the main focuses there, but the, um, some sour beers have a, uh, a very dry finish to them. It uh, dries your mouth out, and that can be from how highly attenuated they are, but I, I think sometimes the tannins really play a large role in that too. And the other thing that they, they really seem to shape is how we perceive fruit flavors You you get a lot of descriptions of of how fruit tastes, and it's hard sometimes to describe exactly what we're tasting. But some of the the components that I think make certain sour beers taste more or less like fresh fruit have a lot to do with what tannin pickup there was in the process.
1: Gotcha. And do you feel like there's a, a big difference between... The beers you're seeing coming out of you know Belgian traditional sour beer styles and and what you're seeing on the American landscape when it comes to tannins.
4: In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. I, it really, I guess, it, it comes down to um, to whether you know whole fruits being used, whether where and how hops are being used in the process, and what type of wood aging is um, is going on. I personally, this came to my attention, and I brought this up in the article that. Over the last year, I've been doing a, a blending program to try to make a, a, a fair shot at something that would taste like a Belgian goose. One of the, the big deficits that has, that I've noticed in the beers that I've been producing is once they're all blended together, you're getting the acidity, the, the right type of character characteristics. Uh, but there's just some sharpness and the, that tannin content that hasn't been there. And it's, it's just simply because the process I'm using isn't introducing tannins anywhere along the way. Whereas the traditional lambic uh, brewing process, you get this big upfront tannin load from the way the mash is conducted and also the, the huge uh, amount of aged hops that go into the long boil load that beer up front with tannins and then as it ages out they become very mellow and very nice but they play a a real role in the in the perception of those beers
1: absolutely and when it comes to you know from the from the brewer's perspective how to manage that in a beer that you're going to be brewing or maybe even a beer you have that's aging right now um you know how do you know what to do with the whole issue of tannins you know let's say you know there are people listening and they have a a sour beer in their carboy and they're feeling like hey you know i i kind of like this but i am kind of interested in getting the mouthfeel right and maybe making tannins a bigger part of this how do you know you know when to you know employ some strategies to add a tannic character or even subtract from your tannin character in the process. And then maybe we can get into some of the specifics after that.
4: I think that um, it depends what type of beer you're, what type of sour beer you're shooting for. Like if you are going for blended goose like beer that isn't going to receive things like a fruit edition or a dry hop addition, you have to start planning the tannin content of that from the brewing process just the same way the Belgians are doing it traditionally, using uh, maybe a little hotter sparge than we usually use, using the, uh, the aged hops and boiling for longer to pull some, some tannin content out of those. On the other hand, if you're in the situation like I am, where I, I have about 60 gallons of sour beer now that is it's mature, it's ready to do things with, and it has no tannin content whatsoever at this point, I'm looking at layering in some complexity and some tannin into those beers with either dry hopping, or fruit additions, or wood aging. O- you know, oak aging or, or uh, many types of woods can contribute a nice tannin level to uh, to any beer.
1: Gotcha. And in in your article on sourbeerblog.com, you you know have a whole section of it, and I, I should say. It's an extensive article. You go into the science a little bit, the reason that you should even care about tannins in the first place, and it's all very compelling. But, you know, yeah, you do go over adding tannins early on in the brewing process and then kind of in a secondary environment via, you know, the wood aging, the fruit, dry hopping, like you mentioned, and then also the addition of grape or winemaker's tannin. Have, have you had experience with that before?
4: That's something that is – I picked that up while researching the article, and when I was looking for information to write this, I really went through a lot of wine resources and wine making, and that is really experimental. I haven't personally done it, but it works for winemakers, and in theory, it's it's a sound idea. The, these uh, chemicals don't have a, a, a flavor per se; it's more of a of a sensory sensation. I don't know that you can replace every form of tannins in a sour beer with uh with something as simple as like a wine a wine tannin extract. But it's definitely something that's worth trying and, and experimenting with.
1: Gotcha. And then maybe we could talk a little bit about the opposite. Let's say, you know, you you were trying to build in, you know, n- a nice amount of tannin through either your brewing process or the fruit or the wood aging and let's say you way overshoot it. Are there ways to kind of do the opposite and remove tannins from your beer after the fact?
4: There definitely are. It's one of the few things that, in beer that can kind of be selectively removed. A lot of brewers that are familiar with um, finings, finings actually target tannins in in a couple of ways and some of the uh the findings that brewers would traditionally use to pull out like a chill haze or the you know some of the hop hazes those types of things those are equally applicable to tannins and they can lower those levels and and smooth out the mouthfeel of a beer if it has become too astringent too sharp the other options are a with age tannins will naturally settle out of a beer and they, they form these large molecular complexes the bigger the complexes become which occur naturally over time the less astringent and the softer they taste so age will will take care of that if you have time to let it let it do that and the other option as always is blending it you know if something in any beer is overshot if you give yourself the option to blend it back out or blend it down, that's, that's good planning.
1: Absolutely. And hopefully, you know, a lot of the, the home brewers listening have, have that option where, you know, they can age it longer and tie up an extra carboy or, you know, hopefully they have uh, experience with findings or blending and they can kind of balance out that, uh, overshooting of tannins in that scenario. But, uh, I, I gotta say, you know, I, I, i loved reading this article and asking you for you know that was that was a brief overview of it i really encourage people to go to sourbeerblog.com and check out the whole thing because that's just uh you know kind of explaining the the tip of the iceberg right there but a couple things i want to do you know while we still have you matt are uh you know i really want to get into tasting your beer which we're sipping on right now while we're listening to you talking it's great but let's do a maybe a quick question get to a break and then when we come back uh We'll get into kind of an in-depth tasting with your beer and learn how you made it and then just answer some more questions. Does that sound all right?
2: Sounds great. All right, cool. So here's a question from uh, David Orlowski. Uh, He says, "Uh, guys, I've been um, brewing sour beer for the last six months or so, and I have roughly 25 gallons currently fermenting. Uh, Since the lag time between brewing and bottling uh, can be quite long, are there any short-term experiments that you would recommend to help homebrewers improve their skills during this lag time?
4: So he's looking for just short turnaround ways to uh to improve beer sour beer skills. Uh,
2: not I don't think necessarily. I think what he's really looking for is cuz he's he's willing to uh, let it do its its thing time-wise. I think he's just looking for experiments and maybe there aren't any that he can do during that lag time between the brewing and the bottling.
1: How about a a rundown of your your fast souring with with LactoMax? That that's that's a great article on sour beer blog too.
4: Oh, thanks, Shay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say that in general, the quick turnaround sour style goes uh, and Berliner Weiss, um, Tarte Saisons, anything that's done with like a lacto up front. Those are awesome beers to kind of really hone in your processes of working, working with lactobacillus, doing... Um, Sanitary bacterial fermentations without without getting you know competing microorganisms going on in there, and some of those beers don't need you know you we you were tasting them from uh the milk defunct guys uh last month, and you've got great beers made in a couple of weeks those are are wonderful experiments to be um continually be doing while and giving yourself good sour beer to drink while you have the uh, the more complex, potentially longer-aged projects uh, waiting, waiting in the cellar.
2: I see. So uh, you guys are saying try some of these fast-souring techniques wh- during this lag time. Yeah, why I got gotcha, 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 gotcha. you. Especially
1: know, because, as Matt mentioned, you can do this kettle-souring, boil that beer. So you lock in your acidity and make it a sterile product, and then just ferment it in your normal— So one thing I'm, I'm assuming uh, the question— the question is saying is like it's you know you have your one um maybe sour carboy and that's tied up with your sour beer and you're willing to give it the time but you know you want to keep doing things in the meantime so uh another sour beer project you can start is a kettle sour which you boil off um so it's sterile and then knock it out to your regular beer fermenter there's no risk of no increased risk of cross-contamination ferment it out with the Saccharomyces strain. The, the other thing I'll just uh, add that you might be able to kind of consider is if you can get a few more kind of small-scale fermentations going, a few flasks or um, mason jars where you just have kind of individual Brett strains going or maybe you can start, you know, experimenting with bacteria on a small scale where you're really just kind of testing out different techniques, seeing how fast funk is produced, acidity is produced. Not really with the intention of hey this is gonna make five gallons of beer on this schedule. You're kind of just doing it for educational purposes, and that that takes a lot of the pressure off. So you know if you mess something up, you dump it, and then you kind of just kind of re inoculate and use that container for something else. But you could do those kind of small scale experiments while you're waiting for your uh, your sour fermenter to to clear up. But yeah, that, I mean that's great that you're showing that ambition that. You have the sour beer project going already, and you want to already start new ones. So, that's that's really awesome.
2: Let's uh let's get let's get to a break. Let's, but and let's let's of course thank uh, Doc as long as he's on the line for bringing us the question we just asked and all the questions. Yeah, Sourbeerblog.com, dot com,
1: sponsor of all of our questions, and there are many questions on the Q and A show. There so. are.
2: I don't know how you did it. It sounds like you're maybe driving, Matt. So I don't know how you brought us a question while you were driving, but you did it somehow.
4: Yeah, sorry about that. I'm I'm still I. Had a, uh, I got off work, and I, I'm still just hanging out in the car here outside of work here tonight. So hopefully there's not too much noise coming through the line.
2: Now, I heard a crotch rocket accelerate off into the distance <laughs> about 30, 20 minutes ago, but otherwise you're good. I, I heard some bottles of beer pop up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was root beer yeah exactly but, yeah thanks uh, for the dedication man that's good on you definitely
1: really appreciate you uh being here matt and we'll uh let's let's get to a break so we can uh get some more questions in and then send yes. Matt home so he can, can he can uh crack open some of his uh world-class beer which we're drinking right now so let's uh take a brief break and we'll be right back on
3: the sour hour Do you support the Brewing Network? Do you brew your own? Are you looking for an economical, fun, and legal way to do both? Subscribe to Brew Your Own magazine and do just that. All year long, Brew Your Own will surprise you entertain you, and educate you with articles on beer and brewing from authors like the Brewing Network's very own Jamel Zadishan and John Palmer. Each issue is a full pint of brewing techniques, homebrew stories, tips and photos, projects to make yourself, and recipes for the avid home brewer. Get your tough questions answered by Mr. Wizard, and polish your style accuracy with Jamel. A portion of every subscription goes to the Brewing Network, so subscribe today at BYO Dot com slash brewing network or just click the byo logo on the brewing network homepage and support a fantastic hobby and your favorite broadcaster brew your own the how-to homebrew beer magazine hey my brewing brothers and sisters this is jamel Zanisha, and i love a bold hoppy beer when that spits resin in your face and makes you cry uncle There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering, but it takes a back seat to the in your face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers.
1: sour beer sitting in his car in the parking lot Matt Miller It's an
2: ambulance right I'm picturing him sitting in an ambulance Probably No
1: yeah. d- no Oh yeah Dr. Like Mercedes Mercedes <laughs> Oh no
2: problem, th-
1: thanks for thanks for being here with us sharing your beer and sharing your information from the blog Let's let's uh, dive into your beer a little bit so
2: it, it is by the way the uh, we've had several uh, different sour beers today including uh, the other beer in our glasses the uh, as I mentioned at the top the Arrows of uh, Neon from the rare barrel, mm-hmm. and uh, my brother Adam, who I mentioned is in studio, has announced that Doctor Lambic's beer is his favorite beer of the afternoon. There you go, Be- I- beating out the pro brewers. I c- I can't really argue. <laughs> Thank you. That's
4: that's high praise. I I'm blushing.
2: <laughs> well, keep in mind, Adam doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, so take it with a grain of so. salt. <laughs> no, it's
1: it's definitely a world class beer. Just, I mean, just like that you sent us uh, a few months back was was outstanding. I I'm a little bummed because I'm looking around the studio and. All the bottles are gone now. Or, oh, oh, the one that you were going to take I home. I sat down on the floor. Yeah,
2: are you kidding me? I got to share this with my friends. Spectacular beer.
1: So we're not friends is what you're saying.
2: We j- Jay, Jay, <laughs> there's some in your glass right now. You got first dibs, but no, we're not friends. But you did get some of the beer.
1: Okay, but I wanted, I wanted to see it and ask uh, Matt a few questions about it. So this says it's a dry hop blueberry and blackberry sour beer. Tell us a little bit about the whole process of this. You know, how did you... Does this beer start out as yeah? I'm going to make a dry hop blueberry and blackberry. Did it develop over time? Take us through kind of it, the the genesis of this.
4: Uh, all right, without without getting too long winded, this this beer is um, it's got some age to it, and it definitely didn't start out with me thinking, oh, this will be this dry hop blueberry blackberry thing. This beer is. A lot of the leftover blend that I decided not to use in the initial Creek, so it has more red base than the, um, than the Creek did, which was only like 25% uh, red, sour red ale. Rather than, you know, try to save that beer for a later time, I just blended whatever was left together like three years ago or two years ago. That's where this beer started out at. Initially, I put in three pounds of blueberry puree and three pounds of blackberry puree, and I, I sat on it for about six months. And the, uh, the beer at that time, it was tasting really nice, but it just didn't have the fruit character that I wanted. So I decided I wanted to, to double up on, on the fruit that was already in there and put in another six pounds of blueberry and six pounds of blackberry puree which would put it up to about 40% fruit by volume, which is like kind of the top range of where the um, Belgian Lambic brewers and blenders are using uh, for their fruit beers. So put that in and this is uh, where I ran into kind of a snag with this beer. The carboy that I had it in wasn't big enough and I already had all this puree in there. I couldn't just transfer it out with a regular racking wand, so I had to do kind of a cardinal sin in uh, sour beer aging and and transfer this through a funnel into a larger vessel gotcha. now that had a that had a big drawback to it as far as I can tell because after that transfer and I'm not really sure what. The specific cause of it was, but with the extra oxygen that was mixed in, stirring up the, the old yeast dregs, it's, it's hard to say. This beer developed a uh, almost diapery, uh, you know, fecal kind of aroma that persisted for a good six to eight months. Uh, so a lot of time with this beer was just spent sort of letting it sit, seeing what it would do. And just every so often, tasting it and seeing how it was progressing. And the the character started to fade out over about a six-month period of time, and then it just sort of dropped out all completely, or dropped out completely after about eight months from that initial development. I let it sit for a little longer, just make sure that nothing else changed. And then um, the final stage of this beer's life was... Uh, going to uh, Zwan's Day, uh, Canteone Zwanzee Day last year, and uh, Jean Van Wa put out their um, Cuvee Florian, which was lambic with cherries and then dry hops with, um, I think, Hallertower hops. And that got my, the gears turning, thinking about hops and fruit together. And that's why, when I decided I wanted to try dry hopping this beer.
2: So that seems like a a long time to have faith it, that it will it will turn around on you. So do, is there a, an amount of time that could have passed that would have made you write it off?
4: There there would be, there could be. What do um, you think
2: how what do you think that is if you could if you I'm could? I'm
4: not sure. I'm not sure what that that time frame would be for fermentation characteristics. Uh there are certain off flavors in sour beer that you're just never going to recover from. Like um, if it gets too vinegary, too ethyl acetate, there's no turning back from that. Um, some uh, I've had some sour beers that have gotten like a strong oxidation sherry kind of note, like uh, cardboardy. And there, as far as I can see, I've never had any experience where you can recover from that. But in the case of this, it, it seemed like, uh, you know, it, it wasn't hurting me to tie up the carboy. It was good. It was tasting really good at one point, and then this fermentation character changed. So I, I thought, why not see if it can change back? And, and it did. I wasn't sure if it ever would, but it was worth worth waiting to see. The the other thing I was thinking about that I wanted to mention for – um. Just a tip for the sour homebrewers out there. If you've never played around with this little tool, which is a, um, a plastic carbonating cap that you can screw on top of a soda bottle, those things are awesome because at any point in your beer's life, you could take a tiny little plastic bottle like uh, carbonated water comes in, pull out a glass-sized sample, chill it, carbonate it, and serve it, to yourself and see what that beer would taste like finished with carbonation right there at that point and decide whether it's time that it should be served or not i I do that all the time for beers that i'm aging for a while and you know they'll sit until i just feel like they taste right and they're they're where that i'd like to serve them and then they're ready to go i keg them up and carbonate them and
1: that's awesome. It's so, it's so funny that you bring that up because I literally just today got the last piece of equipment that I needed to do that at the rear barrel. So we've got all that in line so where we can take barrel samples and put them in. It's just like Matt was saying, you know, just a, a small kind of soda, plastic bottle kind of thing. And then pour your sample in, um, leave a little headspace, put some CO2 pressure on it, shake it up, Keep it in it uh, capped, and then uh, put a regular cap on it, and then cool it down. You probably want to cool it down fast because you know when, when we're taking a barrel sample, we are exposing it to oxygen. So, you know, I wouldn't leave it in the fridge for a few days and then taste it because you might be getting some off flavors related to kind of just the extraction of the liquid from the barrel or whatever vessel you're taking it from. But I think that's a great piece of advice because. A lot of, I mean, most sour beer, when you're aging it, it's a still sample. So, you know, you're not getting the aromatics driven out of the beer like you would when it's going to be carbonated. And so while you can smell it, you can't smell it as well as you're going to once the beer actually becomes carbonated. So you're kind of making blending decisions based off of an incomplete picture of the flavor and especially the aroma of the beer
2: not only uh the aromatics but doesn't um the carbon like carbonic acid mm-hmm. dramatically changes the flavor and perception of a beer sure. yeah, aside from how it smells right so i mean has it happened matt where you were certain that a beer was ready but then you did this carbonation method and you went oh man no it isn't
4: yeah uh, that's definitely happened and and in other cases uh i've had beers where i felt like um maybe the acidity wasn't right that it should sit longer I'll pull a sample, carbonate it, and it ta- and you just perceive the those characters' acidity. I think too, um, you perceive it differently, chilled and carbonated. The carbonic acid adds its own bite to things, and it just um, gives you so much more of a clear picture of what's going on.
3: It
1: also, I mean, if there, if this off flavor that you're experiencing was, you know, volatile sulfur compounds, then you go to the trouble of you know carbonating it in one of these small bottles and you're shaking it up and then you smell it, maybe you're, the, the first smell you get of that beer is like, oh, whoa, now that this uh, you know diaper character is, is a lot more intense and then as you're kind of drinking it and smelling it more, that kind of goes away. Yeah, it's a good clue that, hey, this is probably a volatile compound and it may go away with time, higher temperatures, or even in you know an extreme case arousing with co2 so you know that's it is just another tool for you to check in on your aging sour beer to kind of just get a clearer picture of you know what the status of your beer is um but i'm curious you know once once that flavor did improve for you matt um is that is that when you out of the dry hops you're waiting for it to be a really clear um aromatic picture of just fruit and then uh you know what? What was the what was the time where you said okay? Now, now this beer is ready to add dry hops to, and, and what hops did you end up adding?
4: Yeah, the hops. Um, I put them in about ten days before I bottled the beer. So just once, once I thought everything else was right, um, that's when I put in the hops and then uh, transferred through a just a like a stainless steel inline screen. Uh, into a keg to carbonate and then eventually um, bottle fill off the keg for this. And the hops were um, an ounce and a half of uh, Hallertauer and an ounce and a half of Amarillo in about a two and a half gallon batch of beer. The, this final beer was uh, in, a, in a, there was five gallons worth of volume, but because of all that puree, um, about half of it was just sludge on the bottom of the carboy
1: gotcha and I, I should just mention to the you know the people who are listening and not able to taste this beer that you know that the the off flavor that Matt was mentioning he was noticing in progress that's not present at all I mean I don't know how you guys feel but I, I don't perceive that at all in the final product yeah it's not at all tasting clean and awesome so you definitely uh, you waited it out and you know you, you won for sure <laughs> Let's right. uh while we still have you here, let's uh get to some questions while we still have some time. Is that all right with you, Matt?
4: Yeah, definitely.
2: All right, here's one from uh Stacy uh regarding um commercial sour beers. He says I was in hey guys, I was enjoying a Hanson's Oud Creek. Uh, really enjoyed it, got me wondering. Uh, I don't get the best of the best sours living in the Midwest. You think you could give people some of the best commercial examples of different sour beer styles? I love this beer. Uh, the Hansons, but truth be told, I'm not sure if it's on par with um, the style. Keep in mind, I will not be getting Cantillon or drey Fontaine anytime soon. That's that's tough. I mean, they're, they that's part of the problem with these beers is they really are not very widely available.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially if he's looking for European uh, imports in the Midwest. I know it doesn't get out. Did he say where he lives actually, or he just said Midwest? Okay, is this the same Stacy who called in last uh, last week? Maybe I remember we got a it could be call from Stacy, um, but. I mean, there's certainly some some breweries that are making sour beer in the Midwest. Um, You know, Nuclearis is in Wisconsin. Um, Jackie O's Brew Pub is in Athens, Ohio. A lot of Michigan breweries, you know, Jolly Pumpkin. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you got to be able to... uh, La Roja, you can probably find... Yeah, so I just wonder where he lives. But if he's looking specifically for imported beer, um, that may be a little tougher. I
2: I don't think he necessarily is. I think he's just looking for good examples of the styles. What about... um, what would you call a Petrus Aged Pale Ale? Because that, that's pretty widely available. Like a sour blonde Belgian? But, I, you know, I don't know
1: that beer that well. I don't know. Matt, do you have any advice on this?
4: Well, I think uh, Petrus, uh, the, the Aged Pale, it's a great beer. I'm not sure what that it falls into a classic style. It's like so many Belgian beers that are just sort of their own thing. Um, sour blonde is about the, the most you could say.
1: Yeah, I you know, maybe this is uh it, it's, it's a it's tough because that's a very specific geographical question and we don't you know, we don't know exactly where you are. And it's also not our quite our area area of expertise to comment on sour beer distribution, but one thing that we try to do on the show is just demystify the process of making sour beer because there's still a lot of people out there who don't have access to great sour beer and you know, I'm telling you if if you I, I don't want to, you know, promote this too hard, but you know, Matt is sending us world-class sour beer. If you're reading sourbeerblog.com, if you're listening to the sour hour, if you're joining Milk the Funk, if you're buying uh, Michael Tonsmeyer's book American Sour Beers. You can make a good you can make a beer that's just as good as any commercial brewery, if not a lot better. I you know, I've tasted plenty of homebrewed sour beers that are better than a lot of professional
2: sour beers. So. Yeah, per my you, brother, the uh, the uh, Matt's beer is better than yours, Jay. There you go. Mm-hmm. Take it to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do let's do one more before we run out of time here. This was sent in uh, via Facebook, and uh, Kim, uh, Kim's baby, who's our social media manager, had to uh, send this to my email, which is where you used to be sending questions, Scott at the dot com. It's from Carl Stenbratt, and he said, uh, uh, "Hi, if it is possible to give tips for subjects to talk about in the sour hour, I would like to do so." Smile emoticon. It actually is written out here. Smile emoticon. Classic. Most of my sours, although not all of them, get this weedy aftertaste that has really disturbed me. uh, Wheat, W-E-H-E-A-T. I've experienced the flavor both before and after bottling, uh, but it always fades away with time. He said the mad fermentationist had a good description of the flavor. He basically said uh, in his pale sour beers, especially those with wheat, uh, he often gets like a cereal Cheerio finish mm-hmm. for a few months after bottling that wasn't there in the bottling bucket. And like you said, it does fade with time, but it's really annoying while it lasts. Do you guys know what substance causes that dough, wheat, rice, Cheerio flavor?
1: I don't, but I, I get it too, and I just use less wheat. That's it? Yeah. I mean, the wheat, so, you know, the classic sour beers kind of have, you know, 30 40% of wheat in their recipes, and I just... I still use, I think, quite a bit of wheat. I think it's maybe like twelve, fifteen percent. But then the rest of it is made up with oats and spelt malt to just kind of make a less get get the protein uh, in there still, but make it less wheaty. But you know, I, I I get that in in a lot of beers, and it, it's kind of like a just like a dirty wheat. The Cheerio, that's like I think that's a really good descriptor right there. It's just. A little bit stale, maybe a little bit dirty kind of wheat that, that I get in some of those beers. So I'd use less wheat. And like you said, if it ages out, then that's great. I know you want to, you know, drink the beer faster, but the fact that it ages out is a good thing. But I don't know, maybe that's r- related to uh, tannins a little bit, or do you think it's just recipe, Matt?
4: It's hard to say. I, that's not a flavor that I've picked up much in, in any of the beers that I've been making. I wonder if it's an interplay between just ingredient and and microbes. You know, certain certain classic uh, Saccharomyces strains are so good at bringing out like malt character and in, in certain varieties of, of base malt and things like that. It, it makes me wonder. You know, it, are there strains that have a, a, a predisposition towards pulling out certain flavors from wheat? That aren't as uh, as pleasant during some phase of their their aging. You know, it sounds like it, in the question, it sounded like he was um, bottle conditioning.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah,
4: I, I would wonder if he's getting that if he's not getting that flavor before bottle conditioning. Maybe trying to switch to a, a different bottle conditioning strain or something like that, and just see if it if it carries through. Or just,
2: I mean, he he is saying it's going away with time, so... It could, you know, it could be another volatile
1: that we're kind of talking about. Yeah. So, you know, maybe he doesn't get it while the beer is aging, but if he kind of used, you know, the, the method that Matt talked about where you're using the carbonator cap and you're bringing out those aromatics a lot more, maybe it actually is there, but, you know, it's just... It's volatile, so it is aging out with time. So, you know, you're lucky in that I think you... You like the beer you're making, and this is kind of just a little bump in the road. Right. But yeah, I mean, I I I relate to the I wouldn't I'd hesitate to call it an off flavor because um, you know I think you like the beer that you're making. But I I got that a little bit in some of the beers I've made before, and my solution was just to reduce the amount of wheat and replace it with um, a couple of alternatives like spelt and oats. So.
2: There you go. Well, Matt, we're going to let you uh, get home. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for hanging in.
4: Thank you so much for having me on and uh, and tasting the beer. And I I just want to say again that, you know, there's been such an explosion over the last uh, year of great sour beer information, and you guys are right at the forefront of it.
1: Awesome. Well, you better hit the road because the cops are coming for you. <laughs> I can hear them. <laughs> we heard
4: him
2: drinking. You said he was popping bottles. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Hey, thanks, guys. Our
2: pleasure, Matt. Thanks so much. See you next time. Send us more beer, please. Again, go check out his work at
1: com. You know, you may not be able to be, you know, be tasting his beer like we are, but, I mean, really, his articles are so extensive that, you know, he puts it all out there. And if you really want to dive deep in some of these topics, you know, read his stuff. I mean, he's got a, a big one on a creek. Fast, sac- fast uh, souring with lactobacillus. Now this new one on tannins. It's like I already read it today, but I, I know I'm going to read it like two or three more times. So extensive. Um, it's just so expensive.
2: It's like uh, Vinny said he listened to Chad uh, uh, from Crooked Stave on mm-hmm. the session more than once. Sometimes you just gotta. Hey, uh, repetition is the mother of pedagogy, in the words of Dennis Breaker. No That's, one knows uh, what that means. Uh, pedagogy is learning.
1: Okay. He could have just said learning, but he's, he's <laughs> repeated it so much to himself that he learned all these new words.
2: Repetition is the mother of pedagogy. What was that? Repetition. <laughs>
1: let's go home. Yeah, let's do it. It was a great, great two shows. Um, thanks for all the questions. Keep sending them in. We're going to try and do more q shows, especially since we're doing, you know, more content, but we'll see you uh, sometime soon in the future on the next episode of the Sour Hour. Thanks guys.